today I want to talk to you about worship and specifically from the Old Testament. Now we are heading into the book of Leviticus. Now I know what you're thinking, Leviticus. I mean, how many of you guys just get excited when you hear the, 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 the book Leviticus? It's like, wow, that's my favorite book. How many of you spent a lot of time in that book? You know, I know it, it can be a little weird. It can be a little out there like, oh, I don't know if I, you know, you don't want to hang out in Leviticus too much because it doesn't make you feel warm and fuzzy. That's for sure. It, it can be a little heavy. This is one of the major books of the law. Now we're finished Exodus. I want to remind you of what Exodus was all about. We have, we have the children of Israel were in captivity, but God blessed them mightily. And so the Bible says in the book of Exodus chapter one, verse seven, the children were fruitful. They increased. God abundantly multiplied them. In fact, he blessed them exceedingly. This is a restatement from the covenant he made with Abraham. And so what happens, guys, I want to keep reminding you so no one gets left behind. We have a new, uh, uh, I have some new faces in the, in the uh, congregation, so I want to make sure we're all tracking together. What happens is God's always, his intention from, from day one was to bless Adam and Eve. To bless Adam and Eve. Now they forfeited that, but God's not deterred. He chooses Abraham, raises him up and says, through your family, I'm going to bless the nations of the earth. And those are the same words he uses here to restate to Abraham's people, right? These are Abraham's people. From Abraham, he came Isaac, and then from Isaac, Jacob. From Jacob, the 12 tribes, and now they are in Egypt. They are, they are, uh, they are being oppressed by Pharaoh, who has attacked God's blessing. Always remember that. When you're being blessed, the enemy's going to attack it. So don't be deterred, don't be discouraged. Typically, your darkest moments are right before your brightest morning. Your brightest morning, because the enemy knows that God wants to do something in their lives. He begins to attack him. Now God confronts Pharaoh, he defeats Pharaoh. He brings them to Mount Sinai. He begins to give them the law. And where we left off last week, we said that God declared to his people, I wanna live among you. Come on, how many of you can say, hallelujah, God, that you want to be near me? Thank you, God. How many of you have room for God in your home? You know, one of my, one of my, uh, my just, just blessings in my life is Gilbert Cervantes. And he, and he helped teach my wife and I and helped grow us up. But he has this teaching about Obed-Edom and the Ark of the Covenant. And he is passionate about the Ark of the Covenant. And Obed-Edom was a gentleman in the Old Testament that got to house the Ark of the Covenant while David was in transition trying to figure out what he wanted to do. And so Obed-Edom brought it into his home. And Gil always says, where would you put it? Where would you put the Ark of God that is supposed to be his throne? Would you put it? Is, is there room in your house for God? Because God says, I want to be in your midst. In matter of fact, I want to be in the smack dab in the middle of the camp. And so he gives them precise uh, requirements and prescriptions of where he is to be. And we see that at the end of the book of Exodus. And we head into the book of Leviticus today talking about the different rituals, the priestly requirements, and the requirements for holiness 
that need to be met in order to have God in your presence or better yet to be allowed in his to be allowed in his. Now, I want you to understand something. The book of Leviticus is all about connecting you with the awesomeness of God, with the holiness of God. The book of Leviticus highlights over and over and over how holy God is. And what is holiness? Holiness is is that attribute that says he is completely different and above and beyond what we are. He's perfect in every way. And you say, but, but, but pastor, I, I, thought, I thought God was, was love. And, and I think we should, we should concentrate more on God's love. Come on, how many of you would say, yes, absolutely. We should definitely highlight God's love. But do you realize something? We cannot truly understand God's love until we understand his holy, awesome, wonderful nature. His awesomeness is what makes his love awesome. See, how many of you have ever known someone that has love and speaks of love or they speak of love, but they, they, they write checks with their mouth about love that their bank account can't cash? Some of, somebody in my, in my first service said, said, yeah, we divorced. <laughs> Meaning, you know, that was not love. They talked a big game about love, but how many of you know God's love is awesome because he is awesome? And so many times we forget that. And so what I wanna highlight for you in the book of Leviticus is this, you cannot connect with God. And we said that connecting with God is worship. When you worship, you connect with God, but you need to connect with him on his terms. And when you connect with his awesomeness, then you can better understand and appreciate his love. That love that doesn't waver. That love that is not human-like. That love that is not dependent on what his fickle nature, because he is not fickle. He is constant. He is secure. He is awesome, unchanging. You can count on it. You can take it to the bank and understand that he will never fail. He will never sleep on you. He will never ignore you. He is perfect in his love. His love is perfect. That's what I love about God. You know, I hear these different shows and they talk about like the ancient gods and they say, oh, the gods must be angry or the gods must be this and the gods are smiling and the gods are frowning and the gods gods can't make up their mind because they're no gods at all. They are gods. They are figments of our imagination. But God is not made in our image. We're made in his and he is awesome in wonder. And when you connect with his awesomeness, then you can touch his love. A love, watch, this is deep. A love that will fill you, watch this, with confidence. That's why Paul says things like this in the New Testament. I am confident. Notice, I am confident that the good work he started, he is faithful to complete. Meaning, even if I can't see the end, even if we're going through twists and turns, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I am confident that he's gonna finish what he started. Why? Because he is awesome. He's not like me. He's not like you. He's not human. He is a great and wonderful, magnificent God of whom there is no shadow of turning with and he will complete what he started. So, 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 uh, the book of, (laughs) can I get this? 
First, I was gonna say Ephesians, then I was gonna say Galatians. The book of Leviticus is about God's awesome wonder. And you're gonna see highlighted, I'm gonna use this chart up here, three different things that the book of Leviticus is, is organized by. You're gonna see rituals, priesthood, and purity. And I love the organization of the book of Leviticus because I tend to be, I tend to love symmetry. Anyone else like symmetry? I love symmetry. And so you have starting on at the, the first few chapters and the last few chapters, you have them symmetrically reflect instruction on rituals. Now I want you to think about this with me for, for a second. What is a ritual? A ritual is, is something that is prescribed here in the book of Leviticus that you must go through in order to get to God. So I want to ask you a question. Do these things, do these rituals actually get you closer to God? Are these rituals really that important? Is God really all about these rituals? See, what I shared with you earlier connects here because what God is saying is you can't just waltz into my presence. You can't just waltz into my presence. You can't just come in any old way you please. Why? Because God wants you to understand he's not like you. Why is understanding he's not like me so important to God? More so it's important for you. Because if you're gonna trust God, you need to understand he's not like you. Come on, how many of you would trust someone just like you? So God wants you to have always clear in your mind, I'm not like you. And because I'm not like you, you can trust me. Because I am great and awesome, you can count on me. And so God is literally showing us something that we take for granted very easy. And this, you see this in the children of Israel. They take that for granted with God all the time and they start to treat him ordinary. And God is saying, I'm not ordinary, so you need to treat me. And these rituals help remind you that he's not ordinary. And so you have all sorts of rituals. We'll talk about them in a little bit later. And then you have the requirements to be a priest in the next few chapters as you come in. The requirements for priests, because listen, the priests were necessary to help introduce God's people to God's awesomeness, to God's holiness, to help the people connect with who God was. And so God instituted a group of individuals that were set apart for him that would minister on his behalf in order to connect the people to him. And when you connect with him, then you're at peace. And so you have these rituals that were designed to help connect to God's wonderful holiness. You have the priests that were in, in charge of what? Of going through the rituals with the people, helping them be connected to God. And then ultimately, you had the idea of the purity laws. And so the very center of the, of the book is all about being pure before the Lord. Now, this is interesting because something that, that we've been doing in our home is we've been reading through the book of Leviticus. And as we read through the book of Leviticus, my children picked up something very, very, that, that just jumps out at you. There's, this is a lot. They're like, dad, 
There's a lot that these people had to do and keep up with. See, God is really emphasizing, I'm not like, I'm not ordinary. I am above. I am special. I am holy. I am awesome. And so when we understand that and we stay in the right relationship, come on, we get in more trouble when we try to make God our buddy. When we try to make God our buddy, then we lower God. And when you lower God, then God cannot be all that you need. So God needs to remain where he is because we need an awesome God in our life. And so God is saying over and over and over, if you want to live at peace, then you need to connect with me based on who I am, not on who you want me to be. Because being who I am, then I can change you to be who you need to be. These are deep concepts, but think about them with me for a second. Because what God is saying is, you need to take me seriously. And so there's all these laws. And when we think of the law, we tend to think about the, the Ten Commandments, but it's so much more than the Ten Commandments. It's an entire book of purity laws, of social justice laws on how to treat one another, how to treat God, how to not just waltz into his presence. In other words, there were certain things that would make you unclean or impure. There were certain things that were considered clean and certain things that were considered pure. And so the Bible goes into great detail that certain animals you cannot eat, you cannot come in contact with, you can't touch a dead body or certain bodily fluids because if you come in contact with these bodily fluids, you can't just waltz into his presence. You can't come in contact with certain animals and eat certain things and just waltz into his presence and do these things. Instead, you had to go through these rituals to what? Be proclaimed clean or pure. And when you see this and you read it, you start to feel the weight of it. And you start to realize this is a serious thing and a full-time job to be, to be considered good with God. But let me ask you a very important question. Is it really about the ritual? Because you have the practical follow through of the rituals and the prescription of the law that by Jesus' time, everyone was saying, yeah, I'm good. I follow everything meticulously and I pay a lot of attention to it. Is it all about checking the boxes? Can it be just about that? As hard as it may be to check every one of those boxes. And according to the Pharisees, there were 500 and something. According to Sadducees, there were 600 and something boxes and they would check them all. And so if you check them all, is that all you need? Was the intention to show that you could check them all? Or was God simply saying, I want you to feel the weight of it so that you know that there's gotta be a better a better way so we're gonna highlight these things watch what God is doing a couple of things real quick let's let's bring it back to some some basic principles one God is awesome and he's showing you how awesome he is why because you need him to be awesome we need him to be an awesome God number two he shows us this through three basic things and that's what's that's what's at the center of the organization of the book of Leviticus. Through rituals, the priestly requirements, meaning we need a go-between. 
And number three, the purity aspect of it in that there's certain things that will either make us pure or impure. And that these things can be quite heavy. Why do you think Jesus says, come to me if you've got, had enough? If this has become too heavy for you, come and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you. Do you realize he was speaking in, in very Jewish terms? You say, yeah, he was Jewish. Well, he was speaking in Jewish terms, watch. Because a yoke was considered the teaching of a certain rabbi. And a rabbi would have a yoke and say, this is how I interpret the scripture. This is how I interpret the scripture. So come and be my, rab- be my student. I'll be your rabbi and I'll put my yoke upon you. And so they had gotten to the point where they would take every little aspect of the law and say, you have to keep it perfectly. All about the rituals, all about the purity, all about... And if you do this, then you're in God's good graces. This is why Jesus comes along. Stay with me on this. And in his Sermon on the Mount, he uses words like this. You can read them in in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. He says things like this. He's speaking their language in terms of yoke, in terms of rabbis, in terms of their teaching. He He says, you've all heard it said. You've all heard it said, thou shall not commit adultery. What I love about Jesus, he didn't even get into the nuances of Leviticus. Leviticus is an entire book about rituals, about priests and requirements and purity and impurity. All he did is said, I'm not even gonna go to the depths of the law. I'm just gonna stay on the 10 commandments. I'm gonna say, you've all heard it said, thou shall not commit adultery. But I tell you the truth. What is he saying? He's saying, this is how a rabbi would speak to his, to his pupils. He would say, you've heard it said, but now let me interpret for you. Let me show you my yoke. Let me show you what I value. And so this is why at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the Bible makes something very, very interesting uh, highlight. It highlights something. It says, they marveled, who? The people marveled at his teaching because he spoke with someone that had what? Great authority, which is also part of their heritage because every once in a while, a rabbi would come along and would show something that, that most rabbis didn't quite get. Now, I didn't share this with the first service. You're getting something special. Watch, I'm connecting these dots for you of God's awesomeness, of God's rituals, of God's law, of his priestly requirements and how you have to be pure to be in his presence. This is what Jesus says. For years, your rabbis have been teaching you things like this, and you've heard it said, thou shall not commit adultery. And you check the box saying, I've never slept with someone technically. Yeah, some of you are laughing like, how do you, like, technically? Well, this is what Jesus says, but if you look at a woman, uh-oh. Whoa, 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 hold up, Pastor. How is that? How can you say that he's making it an easier yoke? 
He just said, if you've ever thought about it, you've just committed adultery. You've all heard it said, thou shalt not commit murder. But when you speak ill of someone, you curse them or gossip about them, you have just murdered them is what Jesus says. This is what Jesus says. You know what's happening right now? I'm preaching a totally different message from first service. <laughs> but, oh well, this is what you need. This, this is what happens. He's saying, he's saying this, watch. If you read that Sermon on the Mount very closely, he goes on to say, unless your righteousness is higher and better than the Pharisees who were checking boxes, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He goes one step further. He says, be perfect like your father in heaven is perfect. You know what he's quoting? He's quoting the book of Leviticus. Be perfect like your father in heaven is perfect. Unless you can show that you're not just checking boxes. You've got to be better than the checkers of the boxes. It's got to be more than just ritualistic for you. You've got to understand that God is after your heart. He's after your heart. Watch. Why is his yoke easier? Why is his yoke easier when he just said there's no way you can get there? Because when you realize there's no way you can get there, then you quit trying to jump over the hurdle and you hit your knees and say, Lord, get me there. Get me there. I need a savior, my dear king. That's what the law points you to, a savior. And so you have these things, you have these rituals, you have the priesthood, you have the purity laws, and it's so heavy, it's so heavy. And this is what I wanna say to, to, to us, to myself, because this is what I feel God, God is sharing with me. Stop taking my son for granted. How many of you love to watch these shows where they put somebody out in the wilderness and ask them to survive? I love that. There's these different ones like Alive and then there's these group ones and then they throw people out there and they say, see if you can survive. We give you like a knife and that's it. Well, me and some friends from this church, we had, had, had uh, looked into hiring a charter service. That's what they specialize in. They go off of, a, off of an island in, in, in Brazil, in Belize or off, of, off the coast of, of, of Brazil and they'll drop you like two miles from the island. They say, swim towards that island. We drop, we'll drop you with a knife and a couple of other things and you gotta survive. I'm like, I'm in. I'm in, I wanna see it happen, right? I wanna see it go. And then my wife, who is just God's wisdom in my life. Come on, how many of you guys know without a wife, you'd be dead? And I'm like, I'm going for it. And she says, baby, stop. I have no doubt you can do it. You can do anything you set your mind to. You know that's the sandwich approach, right? Here, here comes the bad. But you're a city boy. When have you ever even camped out? You went and we camped. We used to do this, this children's thing where we would camp out here in the church property and we, were, we would stay one night with our kids. I got in my truck and drove home. And then the, the second time we did it, I... I came to the church and I slept in my office. She's like, babe, I know you can do it, but you might die trying it, <laughs> you know? Because 
Because it's really tough. But this is one thing I've learned about those shows. It's tough when you have to make your own water, when you have to boil your water and find your food and make your fire and do all of these things. We take the modern conveniences for granted. Can I tell you, we take Jesus for even more granted. Because we don't have to go through the rituals because we can waltz into God's presence. Why? Because we're covered in Jesus. And so something horrible is happening. We're lowering God. And as we lower God, we lower ourselves. You know why we lower ourselves? Because you won't feel confident. We need an awesome God. Why? Because I don't know the future. I need an all-powerful God that can heal me when I pray. I need a God who can do the impossible. When Jesus says what is impossible for man is more than possible for God. I need that kind of God. So why should I lower him and make him ordinary? Oh, but Jesus was ordinary. Was he? Was he really ordinary? Stay with me on this. Because the book of Leviticus highlights at least six rituals in terms of sacrificial rituals. You can read them here with me in Leviticus chapter 7, verses 37 through 38. These are instructions for the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offerings, the guilt offerings, the ordination offerings, and the peace offerings. So remember, you had the rituals and the priestly duties and then the impurity requirement or the, the purity requirements. Here's a chart of the offerings. This is the simplest one I could find because as I was reading through all these requirements, I, my head was spinning. And my kids are like, dad, do you think you could do that? And I'm like, I, I've, I've, lost, I've already lost track. I need a chart. If I'm gonna be a priest, then I, I need a chart. But this is the interesting thing. This is the way you would worship God. This is how you connected with him. And so you would bring these offerings. If you needed atonement, if you wanted to celebrate, if you wanted to rejoice, if you wanted to ask forgiveness for unintentional sin, if you had something you did that you were guilty of and you would bring these different offerings in here, you could do a bull for the burnt offering, a sheep, a goat, a bird, depending on your financial position. The grain offering involved flour, oil, incense, the peace offering involved the cattle and sheep or, sh or sheep. And so you can see there what's happening and it's prescribed in detail from chapters one through six. And there's these six offerings that in Leviticus chapter seven, verse 37, we just read. Those are the, go, go back a, a slide. Those are the six offerings. Now I want you to, I want you to understand something very, very important. Six is the number of man. It's deficient. So these offerings are deficient to do what they, what they need to do. And what they need to do is connect us with God. But yet there is no way that these offerings can truly connect us with an awesome, perfect God. They're deficient. So there needed to be a seven because seven is the number of completion and perfection. That seventh offering was Jesus Christ at the cross, who once and for all settled the requirements. 
And we're gonna talk a little bit more about this, but stay with me on this because when you worshiped through this old system, you were involved and you would participate, John, with the priests. So you would bring your bull or your sheep or your dove and you would bring it and you would select it and it had to be perfect. It had all these requirements and you had these different rituals that you had to be a part of. Read what this commentary says. It's the commentary, the biblical commentary, the cornerstone biblical commentary on the book of Leviticus, specifically on the burnt offering. It says physical contact with the animal shows that there was no worship by proxy, meaning you couldn't mail in your worship. You couldn't have somebody else go do it for you. Watch this, no worship by proxy or at a safe distance. That means you had to be involved. Watch what he says. The worshiper personally carried out over half of the ritual steps, including putting your hand on the animal and helping to sacrifice it. You had to get your hands dirty. This was a big deal. It had to be done all the time. We don't have to go through this, but we shouldn't take Jesus for granted. So there's a couple of things that I wanna really highlight as we head towards the finish line here. One, the book of Leviticus outlines an imperfect way for us to connect with God's awesomeness. And we need God to be awesome, number one. Number two, it's heavy. There's a lot to it. Number three, Jesus comes and is the fulfillment of that law. How do we know that? Because he speaks of it. He says, take my yoke upon you. He says, do you not know, again, Sermon on the Mount, that I came not to abolish the book of Leviticus, but to fulfill it, to once and for all render it complete, this is incomplete. Six offerings means what? Number of man, incomplete. I came to be the seventh completion, finish it once and for all. But this is the issue, guys. When we lower God and make him ordinary, we miss the whole point. We miss the whole point. So stay with me on this. So now we're talking about worship. We're talking about getting involved, having your hands be a part of it. And this is why the Bible talks about these offerings are a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord. I'm just gonna highlight a couple of things very quickly. Leviticus chapter one, we're talking about the ritual of the burnt offering. Watch what it says. When it's done right, according to his prescription, it's a what? Pleasing aroma to the Lord. Again, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. When we talk about the peace offering in chapter three, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. When these rituals are done right, they're a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now watch the way the New Testament connects that idea of a pleasing aroma. Come on, how many of you like a good steak being cooked? I tried to be a vegan, that was the hardest thing. I'd smell fajitas and the vegan went right out the window. How many of you know the fajitas are good? Man, they bring them through there on that skillet and you're like, oh yeah, can I change my order? It's a pleasing aroma to the Lord when you do it right. 
Listen to what Psalm says in Psalms 141. May my prayer be set before you like incense. This is a direct, a direct pointing to what happens in the tabernacle in the holy place. The incense that is burned to God. But watch what he says. May the lifting up of my hands be the evening sacrifice. Do you realize the evening and morning sacrifice is the burnt offering? The pleasing aroma. So God is saying that you can be a pleasing aroma if you give yourself in worship. You go, I don't know. It doesn't quite connect for me. You're kind of stretching it. Okay, keep going with me. Ephesians chapter five, verse two. And walk in the ways of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So Jesus Christ gave himself up as the sacrifice, that seventh one, it was pleasing to God. That means he was a pleasing aroma to him. Watch this. Watch this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 and 16, the Bible says, but thanks be to God who always leads us captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. We get to participate in this beautiful sacrifice of Christ on the altar. How? I'll share with you a little bit more, but keep reading with me. Verse 15, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. When we live as, as the children of Israel set aside under his awesome, awesome leadership, then we get to be for other people an example for them to also come into the family of God. And that is a pleasing aroma to God. But, but wait a minute, pastor. Pleasing aroma in the Old Testament meant sacrificial worship. Sacrificial worship. We get to be a sacrificial, worshipful offering to God when we live for him. How so? We'll read Romans 12, 1 and 2. Read what, what Paul says. I urge you, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Watch this. In the NIV, it uses the word offer. Do you realize in the book of Leviticus, every time it talks about the ritual sacrifice, it means the worshiper would bring an offering. You offer to the Lord the bull. You offer to the Lord the sheep. You offer to the Lord the, the turtle dove. You offer. Jesus Christ, once and for all, finished all of that. But now you get to be part of what Christ is doing before the awesome altar of God as you as well offer yourself through Christ's sacrifice your life. Not to die, but to live. To live, watch what God says. 
offer yourselves in light of Christ's awesome work on the cross. Now you get to be a part of this beautiful sacrifice that's a sweet smelling aroma that comes into the heaven. You get to do this. But this is the technical aspect of it. You cannot do it. You cannot offer something until you come to the place of worship. You put it before God and you would put your hand on it. If you read every one of these things, the worshiper would bring it to the priest and it wasn't offered until he put his hand and then he gave it. This is why God in Jesus says, watch this. If you want to be my disciple, die to yourself daily. That means every day go and say, Lord, I know what you did for me on the cross. And it is my awesome privilege to give you full control of my life yet again today. 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 Daily, I give you full control. You go, but pastor, I'm having trouble. I see the symbolism, I do. But, but what is this idea of this easy yoke and this and that? Okay, watch. It's not just about checking the boxes and saying, I went through the ritual. I read the book of Leviticus and I killed that animal exactly like you prescribed it. It's about your heart. about your heart. That's why the psalmist can, can say, let the lifting of my hands that has nothing to do with the ritual be like the evening sacrifice. The lifting of my hands be the evening sacrifice. Let it be when my heart worships your awesome, wonderful presence, God, that I am actually providing more than I could have ever done in a ritual. Especially now through Jesus Christ, who once and for all satisfies any ritual. You say, okay, so he satisfies his satisfies any ritual, then what am I to do? You offer Christ your life daily. Say, I no longer live, but it's you that lives in me. That's the New Testament over and over and over. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So I'm going to bring it to an end now. So Leviticus wants you to see how awesome God is. And it makes you go through all these rituals and these priestly requirements and the impure and, 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 and the purity laws. And, and man, that can get heavy. And, and so people started checking boxes and Jesus goes, it's not about the boxes, it's about your heart. But then it goes one step further in the New Testament for us. Because some of us have said, well, I gave you my heart, I'm good. I Come on, anyone ever say, I gave you my heart, I'm good. But what is this whole message about? Not taking Jesus for granted. Do you know you can take Jesus for granted and get a little proud by saying, I gave you my heart. I did this. I am better than the next guy because I am sincere. I broke down. I had enough to, to what? 
to meet you there. And, and I, 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 but, but, but watch this with me for a second. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between what? God and mankind. And his name is Christ Jesus. So who is the mediator in the book of Leviticus? The mediator in the book of Leviticus are the priests. And specifically on the day of atonement, that's the very middle part of the book, there was this one day where the high priest, not just any priest, the high priest would go in for the entire nation and do this, this beautiful, awesome ritual. And he would go into the holiest of holiest. This is what it means. It means in the inner part of the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant was held and God said, that's where I will be. I will be enthroned between the cherubim. And so the high priest would prepare himself ritualistically and he had to be in good standing with God or he would fall dead. And he would mediate for the whole nation as he walked behind the veil. Now, God is saying there is one mediator and his name is Jesus. Read with me in Hebrews. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the father. So Jesus Christ was the seventh sacrifice, right? The ultimate one to complete the book of Leviticus. That's why Jesus said, I have fulfilled the law. It's done. He hangs on the cross. He says, it is finished once and for all. And when he conquered death, he goes and he sits down at the right hand of the father and said, it's done, father. It's not over. I mean, it's over, but it's not what the, the message isn't over. Keep reading with me. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, he says, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The curtain in the temple, the temple was a permanent representation of the tabernacle in the desert. The tabernacle was a tent because it had to be moved as they were moving. The temple, when they got to the promised land, was set in place and it looked the same. You had the holiest of holiest separated from the holy place by the curtain. The curtain said only the what? The high priest could go in there once a year, but Jesus is the high priest. He fulfilled that. So the curtain tears, not from the bottom to the top, but from God's point of view, he says, I no longer have anything between us. So it's torn. Now watch what Hebrews says. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, who is he? Jesus, who is ascended to heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father, is Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. Watch this. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Therefore, let us, what? approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You know what he's saying there? He's saying it's been paid for. The book of Leviticus has been what? Completely fulfilled. Therefore, be a worshiper. Come straight into God's presence. Not half-cocked and cocky and completely proud, but instead completely grateful for what Jesus did for us. You say, Lord, in your strength, in your awesome wonder, I humbly come before 
you help me, Lord, with this? God, can I offer you praise? God, can I give you an offering of thanksgiving? God, I just want to be with you. And Jesus is sitting there saying, Lord, I intercede for him. He has way. He has. Remember I told you this was the last part. So if it's not about rituals and it's about the heart, but you said some of us can kind of get that mixed up and we take God for granted and start thinking more of our heart. This is what, what totally set me straight when I read C.S. Lewis' Mere Christianity and he talked about what it means that Jesus intercedes for us. And every once in a while I have to remind myself of that because I'm prone to forget. And maybe you're like me, prone to forget. So this Easter, let's remind each other that Jesus is perfect and sinless and he was the ultimate sacrifice and the perfect sinless man doesn't have to forgive, doesn't have to ask for forgiveness. He doesn't have to repent, does he? But yet a perfect sinless person can repent and be remorseful perfectly. He can do it perfectly. Why? Because he has a pure heart. But yet he doesn't need it. I'm not, perfect my heart's not all that before I get ahead of myself and start thinking well my heart I worship with my heart my heart my heart my heart is fallen I try to be sincere but how about you I try to commit to my wife certain things I won't leave my clothes in here and I won't do this and I won't do that and I and, and I just keep falling so the person that needs forgiveness can do it less well than the person that doesn't need it who can do it perfectly. And the worse I am, the worse I can do it. See, a bad man cannot truly be sincere as he goes before the king of glory and says, sincerely in my heart. Now you're, come on, come on. Really? You can sincerely impress God with your heart? No, this is how awesome God is. Even your forgiveness is through Jesus. Even your sincere remorse and your pleading is through Jesus. Because he's at the right hand of the Father saying, I'll take, I'll take that prayer of repentance and I'll bring it through my heart, Lord, and present it to you. So as we get ready to take communion, if anyone needs communion elements, would you raise your hand for one of our ushers to, to see you and provide them? Anyone? Before we go any further, may this year be the year that we don't take Jesus for granted. May we see our salvation with fresh eyes. May we understand that the reason he says my yoke is easy and my burden is light is because he lifts it completely. All we have to do is receive him and his goodness and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. May we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice 
for his glory. I love you, church. Thank you for your blood. Church, again, I love you. Take some time to invite someone. Take some time. Let's share the, good, the goodness of our Lord.